Please join me as I pray. Father, we do come this morning, and as we open your word, we recognize that through your spirit and your word, you are the one who refines us. You are the one who refines us in, in, in beautiful ways. And so I pray that you would even use this time now as we continue to give our worship to you this morning. We pray, come Holy Spirit. We still our hearts, we still our minds, everything that we bring, we lay before you now. Come Holy Spirit. Take your glorious word, let it sink into our lives. I pray that through your merciful grace, you would transform us more and more into the image of our Savior, Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. Please be seated. Well, this morning, we're beginning a new season in the life of the church. It's actually a new year, if you will. No, it's not January 1st, but in the church calendar, it's the beginning of our year, and it begins with this season that we call Advent. Advent is this time of hopeful anticipation. You know, we live on the other side of the cross, right? But Christ has not returned, and so we live like those in the Old Testament awaiting the Savior to come. We know that He has come, but friends, we know that He's coming back. And that waiting and longing, I pray, gives us a hopeful expectation in the midst of where we are today. The theme of the season of Advent that we're going to go through this year comes from that great Christmas hymn, O Holy Night. Listen to how it begins. It'll be familiar with many of you. O Holy Night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of the dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope the weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Oh, how we can relate to those words, can't we? Long lay the world in sin and error pining. Can you identify with those this morning? I think for many, many people today, there is a desperate longing for hope. There's a desperate longing for hope as we watch things in our world, as some might say, unravel, and a hope of going, could things be different than they are today? We live with that hope, right? There's a tension there, but we live with that hope that things could be different. We also recognize this. We live with the hope recognizing that the things in our lives aren't the way they're supposed to be. You know, this season between Thanksgiving and Christmas is for some would say it's the most joyful time of the year, right? But I know well enough, for many it's not. <laughs> because we all know in, in families, things in our families, many of us, things aren't the way they're supposed to be. They're fractured relationships. Friendships that we have are still unreconciled. Family dynamics, for many, continue to be difficult. Some today are living with the weight of financial pressure. There are all kinds of things going on in our lives. There's a void for, for some who've lost loved ones this year, that, that there's just that hole there, right? And you long for hope. And what I want you to hear this morning is this. Our tendency is to find hope in the things around us, right? We are so inclined to grab hold of this or grab hold of that to come and to be that hope for us, right? To take that, 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 to fill that void in our lives. But the reality is this. We will never find hope in a physical world that has been wrecked by sin. 
as much as we try to go and find things here to give us hope, as much as we try to run to things to take the edge off, it will never, because we live in a world wrecked by sin, it was never intended to give us what only God can give us. And so that's why in this season of Advent, it's a season of great hope because we recognize that our hope is not found in anything here, but our hope is found in a person, and his name is Jesus. That's what we're going to look at this morning and this season of Advent. The theme that we've titled is this, it's the thrill of hope. It's not just a little bit of hope, but friends, today we need to know there is the thrill of hope. And I hope you'll see that unpacked as we look through the passage this morning. We're going to look at Isaiah chapter 2 that was read just a moment ago, the first five, verse, five verses. And if you just pick up and turn to that scripture in your, in your Bible, you'll see it's a message of hope. But if you look to the left, you'll see how it began in chapter 1. It's a message of hope in the midst of a message of destruction. It's a message of hope in the midst of a very bleak situation. You see, the prophet Isaiah wrote to people who had turned their, way, turned their eyes from God. The Israelites, God's people, had continued to thumb their nose at God, if you will. They ran the other way. They wanted to do and live life how they wanted to with no regard to God. And so what happened is God sent judgment upon them. The Assyrians would then would take them into exile and then the Babylonians. And so they were faced with a very difficult situation. And, and it begins with these words, and well, I'll start in Isaiah 1, chapter, uh, chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. Listen to this description. Isaiah wrote, Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly, they have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. Why will you still be struck down? Why will you continue to rebel? The whole head is sick and the whole heart is faint. <laughs> Pretty sobering description of the Israelites, isn't it? But friends, that's not just a description of the Israelites years ago. It's a description of all humanity today. You see, those are the reality is saying left to ourselves, that's how we're going to live. Left to ourselves, we, our head is going to be sick, our heart is going to be faint. Left to ourselves, we will have no regard for God. And we know the reality, left to ourselves, if we're honest, without God, it just brings destruction in our lives. But that destruction is passed on to others because we often leave a heap of destruction around us when we're not following the ways of the Lord. And so God's judgment comes upon them. And it's sobering, as I mentioned, but it's not, doesn't end there. And I love the Lord because the story of the gospel doesn't end with the bad news. There is good news, and Isaiah picks it up right here in this chapter. He picks it up with a message of hope, and I would go so far as to say it's a message of the thrill of hope. You see, in Isaiah chapter 2 is a vision of, of people running, flocking up to the mountain of the Lord. Listen to these words. And it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and it shall be lifted up above the hills, and the nations shall flow to it. Now, I want to stop right there and name something. I wonder if you see this. If you read chapter 1 of Isaiah, which I just alluded to, 
you see doom and gloom, right? You see the hearts of the people had turned away from God. They wanted nothing to do with God. But yet in Isaiah chapter 2, it says that the nations will run to the mountain of the Lord. They'll run to him to learn from his law. And you think, what happened, right? What happened that would cause people to have that kind of shift? Friends, it's this. It's that God intervened. If there is ever going to be any hope for you and me, if there is ever going to be any hope for the brokenness of humanity, someone had to intervene. And God did that for you and me on that mountain. What we find out about this mountain is the significance is it's, it's Mount Zion, right? It's the place where the temple was. And, and that's, a, that's a reflection, a, a picture of us. The, the presence of God dwelt in the holy temple on Mount Zion, right? And so the people were running to that mountain. But there's another event that took place on that mountain. In the book of Genesis, chapter 22, we read the story of Abraham going to sacrifice his son Isaac. Have you heard that story before? God called him to do that. It was his only son. And so what we see here in in, in Genesis 22 is Abraham and Isaac are at the foot of the mountain. The mountain then was called Mount Moriah. It's the same mountain as Mount Zion. And on this mountain, here's what we see. Abraham was going to sacrifice his son, but Isaac said to him, "Um, my father, he said, his father said, here I am, my son. Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And in these prophetic words, Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they both went up together. As the story unfolds, they're at the top of the mountain. Abraham builds the altar, puts the wood on it, binds his son Isaac, places him on there. He's about to kill him, and all of a sudden God intervened. And he said, stop. You've been faithful with what I've asked. And all of a sudden Abraham turned around, and there was a ram caught in the thicket who became the sacrifice instead of his son. Well, fast forward in the Scriptures Thousands of years later, on that same mountain, we see God intervening again. And God intervened for you and me on that mountain by sending his son. His son, his only son, Jesus, who willingly gave up his life. There wasn't another ram to take his place. As we know in the scriptures, Jesus is the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And God provided for you and me. He gave himself, his son, to be the sacrifice for us. You see, if life is going to ever be different for you and me, God has to intervene. And when Jesus, his son, was nailed to that cross, taking our sins upon himself, he reunited us with God in a relationship that we can have for all eternity. That's the grace. That's the way that God intervenes. That's the only way that we can have a change of heart. Instead of living for ourselves, we turn and we want to live for God. Why? Because God intervened. And he gave his son. And in giving his son, he gives us a new heart, new affections that respond to this absolute gift of grace. Do you see that this morning? That's the first thing we see in this passage. God intervened on that mountain. And because of that, for those who receive this gift, everything changes. 
In verses 2 and 3 of Isaiah chapter 2, we see this. Because God intervened, the direction of our lives change. Listen to these words, starting at verse 2. And all the nations shall flow to it, and many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. You see, friends, I've named it when we come to this mountain and receive what God has done for us, that glorious sacrifice Our lives are changed, and no longer do we live for ourselves, but we have new affections to live for the Lord. It's interesting because he says that that nations will be drawn to it. People will run to the presence of the Lord because Jerusalem is up, right? And to go, you always go up to Jerusalem. And as the nations flock to the city of Jerusalem, to the place, the very presence of God, What they find is life and hope and peace. Very different from what they found in the valley. Think about life in the valley. We all know all too well, right, that our natural inclination is to run to things here to give us life and hope and peace, right? In in this season in particular, when uh, your mailbox gets as filled with magazines as my mailbox does, <laughs> when all of the things on TV show us all of these things that we never knew we had to have, and our list grows and grows and grows, right? <laughs> and, and we realize after Christmas comes the next day, and guess what? We're no more satisfied than we were the day before because those things never were meant to satisfy us. But we go up to the Lord because He and He alone satisfies. I I talk about this often. There's this God-shaped void in all of our lives. And and if we fill it with anything other than the Lord, we're going to be lacking. We're going to be wanting more, right? But when we come to see who the Lord is, and He becomes to fill that void, friends, we realize we lack nothing. Though the reality is, and we sang this in the, in the processional uh, song this morning, and it's so true, we can all relate, right? Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Take my heart, O oh, take and seal it for thy courts above. The invitation for us is to come knowing how prone to wander we are, to come into the very presence of the Lord who for us becomes our great peace and our great strength. That we would, like the psalmist often says, love his law. Listen to what David wrote in Psalm 19, speaking of the law of God. Now, when you hear this, and I name the law of God, I'm sure for some of you there's a response, and sometimes it's not good, because you think, oh gosh, the law is just so restrictive, right? So many things that God, they're so restrictive, kind of like this brace that I have. It's restrictive. I can't like go like this with my other hand. There's not the freedom. But I want you to see that is so not how the law of God is. It's not restrictive. What is it? It's boundary lines that as we live in, there is such freedom when we come to know and receive the law and the ways of God. You and I come alive when we do, right? Here's how David put it in Psalm uh, 19, starting at verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. 
The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Isn't that rich? I love how David is saying, you want to know life? You want to come alive? You, you want your soul to be revived? Friends, it's not going to be turning to things in this world to try to give you that. It's only going to be revived by the perfect law of the Lord. And this is it right here. My prayer for us this Advent season is that we would so run up to the mountain of the presence of the Lord. We'd come to the Lord through his word and find that through it, y'all, we find life, that we would really give ourselves to not just a quick glance, but that we really would slow down and read it and meditate on it and digest it and let it form and shape our lives, right? More into the image of Christ. Because the reality is there's always going to be something forming and shaping our lives, isn't it? Isn't there? And for most of us, we look to the things or we allow the things of the culture around us to form and shape our lives. I wonder if you were to think for a moment, what are those things for you? What have you so attached yourself to things in our culture that that you've allowed to form and shape your life as opposed to God's word? Friends, the greatest thing that we can do is allow God and his word to form and shape us in every way. Because not only do we find life there, not only do our lives come together, we're able to bring honor and glory to the Lord of Lord, the King of Kings, the one who intervened for you and me by giving his son. Each Monday during Advent, we're going to do something to help kind of stir that in us as a body at St. Andrews. We've got a devotion that we've put together. Jennifer Holstead, our early childhood director, has put this wonderful devotion, taking this passage that will be preached on on Sunday, as well as the other lectionary readings of the day. And you'll get it on Monday mornings, and there's a short devotion to read and some questions to ponder and meditate on. I want to encourage you in this season of Advent to take those on Monday and let the Word of God so fill you and lead you and be your guide this season. And see what the Lord does to meet you in all of those places where you long for God to intervene into your life. Because the reality is we could probably fill a sheet of paper of the places we long to see God intervene, right? He is that kind of God I want you to know. And I want you to know he knows exactly what that is for you and he will meet you in those places. And as you give yourself to the Lord, you will find the true hope and peace that we speak about this morning in this season of Advent becoming real in your life. So that's the first thing I want us to see here. Not only does God intervene, but he intervenes and the direction of our lives change. And the last thing we're going to look at here is the reality, because God has intervened for you and me, We are changed, not just the trajectory of our lives, but specifically we are changed into people of peace. Look at verse 4. We read, And he shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, 
neither shall they learn war anymore. I love that verse because one, in one sense, it tells us who God is. He is a God of justice. Friends, we can look all over the place today in the world, all of the injustices that are taking place around us, and praise be to God that we have a God who is a God of justice, that one day all of those wrongs will one day be made right. But there's another thing we see in this passage. Because God's a God of justice, we don't have to try to get it on our own. You see, instead of waging war against one another, we can live as people of peace. Now, I want you to think about this picture here because what Isaiah wrote was this, they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Now, I want you to think about those weapons, what they did with them. Let me tell you what they did not do with them. They did not lay them down and walk away. Because can I tell you what happens when we lay something like a weapon down? You're going to get angry at someone. You're going to walk right back over and pick it up again, right? That's not what they did. They refashioned them into tools that bring peace and life and for the flourishing of humanity. Now, I want you to think about this picture, these weapons that he's talking about. You and I don't pick up sword or gun against each other, but we do have our own weapons. I wonder what they are for you. Let me name a couple of them. I think one of the most destructive weapons that we use against one another is our tongue, is our tongue. Think about it. Think about a destru- the destructive force that our tongue tends to be when we unleash pain on people with the words that we've spoken, when we use our words to tear others down, when we use our words to gossip. And yes, friends, that is an abomination in the presence of the Lord because when you gossip about someone and we think, oh, that's nothing, it's no big deal. When we do, we're using our words against someone else. There are so many ways that we use our tongues for evil and how destructive they can be. And I think sometimes we don't even realize how destructive our words are. Sometimes we want to just say that little biting thing. You know what I mean. Just to kind of get your point across. Maybe you did it over Thanksgiving to your family. Sitting around that time, you you just lob that one little thing, right? It's harmless. Well, sometimes I think we have no idea the depth of hurt our words can give. I once heard someone give this illustration. I think it's so apropos. They They said, you think you have a BB gun in your hand, but it's really a rocket launcher. You think you're giving a little flesh wound with the words that you're saying, but when you look back, all you see is a pair of tennis shoes and smoke. Pretty sobering, isn't it? (laughs) Maybe that'll give us a check before we lob that little word that we think, oh, that's not going to hurt. Oh, I I want it to sting, but I don't want it to kill. But friends, it kills. Even those small words do. That's a weapon that we use all the time. I think another one is you can think about this. Our thoughts can also be used as weapons against others. We think of things negatively about someone, but we may not articulate it. But when we condemn someone, when we tear somebody down in our thoughts, it's just as bad because it's also putting a dividing wall between us and others. You see, there's a whole arsenal of weapons, aren't there, that are at our disposal. Friends, what would happen if you began to take those that were once used as weapons and turned them, refashioned them to bring peace to those around you? 
What would happen if instead we used our tongues, our words, instead of to curse, if we used them to bless others? You know, I think that's why God gave us lips, <laughs> to bless him, words to bless him, to bless others. Even those who curse you, what are we called to do? We're called to bless those who curse us, not get back at them. Friends, that's a different way of living, right? The only way we can do that is if we've been up to the mountain of the Lord. If the Lord has transformed our hearts, that's the only way that we can live as people at peace with one another. But oh, how we are called to. I was reading the book of James in the New Testament the other day. And, and if you want a book to read, it's not very large, six chapters long. Take that and read it every day for a week. And see how God begins to refashion your heart to become a person of peace in the midst of a divided world. We will literally, friends, I believe we will see things change in our community if we truly sought to live as people of peace. If we were people who were up in the mountain of the Lord, in the presence of the Lord, allowing him to refashion our hearts for his ways. And so, friends, the invitation for us this Advent season is to come. Come into the presence of our holy God, the one who intervened for us the riches of his grace on the cross. Come and let your heart be transformed by his image and let him make you a person of peace. So I want to end where we began with the words of that great hymn again. O holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope the weary soul rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Friends, it breaks every day for us because we know that Christ is coming again and he is renewing all things. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the power and authority and beauty of your word. Thank you for the hope that we have even in the midst of very challenging things. Would you continue to take it and fashion it in our hearts, giving us this Advent season new holy affections for you, and that as we respond out of those, may we truly bring peace to the people around us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.